minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
לכל זמן
sora, almenas le cabe pras. Alti yuke ya bodi mam sham shin sora, almenas le cabe pras. Alti yuke ya bodi mam sham shin sora, almenas le cabe pras. Alti yuke ya bodi mam sham shin sora, almenas le cabe
Good Shabbos, 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 good Shabbos.
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. It's Friday morning on this January 8th, day 27 in the month of Teves, the year 5776. Tufshin Ayin Vav. Erev Shabbos Parshas with candle lighting time at 426 on this Erev Shabbos. 426, your official candle lighting time. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Shvat will be one day this coming Monday, will be Rosh Chodesh Shvat. You heard God is alive and well in Jerusalem. It's from the S Legacy. It's Moshe Hecht. Before that, the Moshav band with Seischem L'Shalom and Vishamru off of Shabbat volume number one. Boy Vishalom from Eitan Katz from Unplugged volume two. Yaakov Shweki headlining Hask on Sunday night with Lo Yavod and Eight Rikod. Benny Friedman, Imen Anili Mili from the Kol HaNeshamash CD. And Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. 33 degrees with 26 to wind chill, 56% humidity, winds in northeast at 9 miles per hour. Mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 44. Then tonight, cloudy skies, low of 38. Tomorrow, a high. Oh, tomorrow, cloudy skies with a high of 50 degrees. Yerushalayim at 50 and very, very windy and rainy as we uh, speak. Uh, here in Jersey City, 33 degrees, wind chill at 26. I want to thank everybody who came out to the TABC dinner last night. It was really a wonderful gathering at Congregation Keter Torah in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. To uh, everybody at TABC, a uh, a big thank you, a very, very big thank you. It was really a spectacular event. Uh, speaking of windy in Yerushalayim, one of our commenters uh, on the app Listener Malki says, Shabbat Shalom from the very windy city of Jerusalem. All right, so they're they're experiencing some wind and rain in the holy city on this January Friday. And um, I welcome those who are tuned in around the world, whether it be from Jerusalem or any other place on this globe. It is much appreciated. JM in the AM coming up at 9 o'clock. It's Naomi Nachman with a an incredible live presentation of Table for Two starting at 9 a.m. with many, many special guests. It'll be happening from Gourmet Glot, the brand new one on Railroad Avenue in Woodmere. The brand new Gourmet Glot Railroad Avenue in Woodmere. If you have a chance to stop by for the show, for the demonstrations, for all the cool stuff, make sure to do so sometime after 9 o'clock this morning. You'll have an opportunity to see everybody there at, um, at Gourmet Glot in Woodmere. Naomi Nachman will be there, starring in uh, the brand new edition live of table for two. Uh, Malcolm Holmline will join us. He is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us coming up here at JM and the AM at about 7.40 this morning for the weekly update. And of course, as we say all the time, plenty more coming up uh, between now and 9 a.m. as you would suspect. Lipa's next. This is JM and the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Maishi Menlowitz off of the sheer double CD here at J.M. in the A.M. with Ure Vanim. Yummy Lowy had Aisha Schail. You heard A Ashtray done by Yeshiva Boys. David Dardashti with Adon Olam Lipa's Adon Kol HaSimcha. And you heard Moshe Hecht, God is alive and well in Jerusalem. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vaera with candle lighting time at 426 on this Erev Shabbos. 426, your official Candle lighting time. Monday is Rosh Chodesh. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Monday is Rosh Chodesh. A one-day Rosh Chodesh Shvat uh, this coming Monday. Mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 44. We're at 33 uh, degrees outside right now. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Naomi Nachman coming up at 9 o'clock. She's got the uh, live remote. Table for two is live in Woodmere. 
at the brand new Gourmet Glot on Railroad Avenue in Woodmere. And that is happening today starting at 9 a.m. right after JM in the AM. A lot of special guests, food demonstrations, a whole bunch of great stuff. If you're out there, make sure to walk in and say hi. Otherwise, you can watch it on our website and you can uh, listen to it on the NSN app. Tune in and enjoy. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for Friday is next. Boker Tov from Jamie. Galay Tzal, Ashashtayim, Khan Shibel Karmi Mansour, Imasha Koreachshav. החיפושים אחר המחבל נשעת מלחם, כוננות מוגברת של כוחות הביטחון בגוש דן ובאזור ואדי ערה. כתבתנו הדס שטייק. החיפושים אחר נשעת מלחם נמשכים גם הבוקר. לאורך צירי התנועה בוואדי ערה, המשולש, טירתאי בקלנסו, הכפר סבא, רעננה ומבואות נתניה, מורגשת היערכות גדולה של שוטרים ולוחמי משמר הגבול. מוכן הוקמו מחסומים על צירי התנועה. כך גם ברחבי העיר תל אביב. החיפושים נמשכים גם בתוך יישובי המגזר הערבי בכל המשולש, בניסיון לגלות אולי עקבות שיובילו למלחם. הציבור מבקש את המשטרה נדרש לערנות וסבלנות. שני תושבי מזרח ירושלים מואשמים כי תכננו להתנקש בראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו. כתבנו רום ליאור. מכתב האישום עולה כי אחד הנאשמים סייע לפעיל חמאס בהקמת מעבדה לייצור חומרי נפץ בשכונת אבודיס ובאיתור מטרות לביצוע הפיגועים. כך למשל סבר כי יוכלו להטמין מטען מתחת לבימה עליה ינאם ראש הממשלה בארנה בירושלים. בנוסף, הנאשם השני, המזוהה עם ארגון דאעש, סיכם עם פעיל החמאס כי יסייע בהעברת כלי נשק משטחי יהודה ושומרון לשטח ישראל, ואף יבצע פיגוע אחד בעצמו. ראש הממשלה נתניהו תוקף בחריפות את ארגוני השמאל, תעיוש ובצלם בעקבות תחקיר התוכנית עובדה ששודר אמש. כתבנו עידו בן בג'י. התחקיר חשף את פרצופם האמיתי של הקיצונים בתוכנו, כתב נתניהו בדף הפייסבוק שלו, ששנאת ההתיישבות העבירה אותם על דעתם וגרמה להם להסגיר חפים מפשע על ידי עינויים והוצאות להורג. מי שמעודד רצח לא יכול להתחבא בצביעות מאחורי דאגה לזכויות אדם, כך נתניהו. בעקבות מזג האוויר, ביטולים נרחבים של הטיסות הפנים-ארציות. ניתאי הנבי. בשל הרעות הלקויה, שדה התעופה באילת ושדה דוב נסגרו לנחיתות. ארקיע ביטלה את כל 14 הטיסות שתוכננו היום בקו, ותפעיל שירות הסעות בתשלום מתל אביב לאילת. גם ישראל ביטלה את 11 טיסותיה. לרשות שדות התעופה ממליצים לנוסעים להתעדכן על מועדי הטיסות בחברות התעופה ובאתר האינטרנט. בבלגיה גילויים חדשים בחיפושים אחר המחבל הנמלט שהשתתף במתקפת הטרור בפריז. תאו וייס. התובע הכללי בבלגיה הודיע שבפשיטות שנערכו בבריסל ב-10 בדצמבר נמצאו עקבות של מטענים וחגורות נפץ וטביעות אצבעות של סאלח עבדה סלאם, אחד המחבלים באירועי הטרור בפריז בהם נרצחו 130 בני אדם. עבדה סלאם הוא המחבל היחיד במתקפה שהצליח להימלט ולאחר חיפושים רבים של משטרת בלגיה דווח שייתכן והוא ברח בבית העלמין בקיבוץ בית אלפא נערכה הבוקר אזכרתו של הרמטכ"ל השנים עשר של צה"ל, רב אלוף במילואים משה לוי. אחיו אלוף משנה במילואים, הדוקטור ברוך לוי, סיפר לטלי ליפקין שחק על הקשר בין שני האחים. היחסים בינינו היו מצוינים. וכאשר הוא עלה עליי, אני הרגשתי בעננים. החלפנו הרבה מאוד דעות, למדתי ממנו הרבה מאוד, זה היה איש שהיה שומע דברים באריכות, לעומקם. הריאיון המלא ישודר במוצאי שבת בשמונה בתוכנית פ"א בגישה אישית בגל"צ. 
התחזית העובך צפוי להתפזר אחר הצהריים, המשרד להגנת הסביבה קורא לילדים, קשישים, נשים בהיריון ולחולי לב וריאה שלא לעסוק היום בפעילות גופנית. מחר עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות וירדו גשמים מקומיים מהצפון ועד לנגב, בראשון ובשני תורגש התחממות נוספת. אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב, ביצוע טכני עדי קורדבני.
J.M. in the A.M. That's Mashkimim done by Ohad. Shimon Kramer had Sur Mishaloh. You heard Mehera done by David Lowy. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vaera with candle lighting at 426. Big thank you to everybody at TABC uh, for coming out for the uh, big dinner last evening. It was really a beautiful event. The congregation kept their Torah in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. Thank you to Rabbi Adler and to everybody who had a hand in uh, making it such a wonderful event last evening. Uh, Monday is the uh, month of Shvat. That's right. Monday is Rosh Chodesh. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shvat is Monday. It's one day. Um, so keep that in mind for the next time we reconvene here at 91.1 FM, etc. Candle lighting at 426 with 33 degrees, mostly cloudy and a high of 44. Very heavy winds in Yerushalayim on this Friday uh, with about 50 degrees. Malcolm Holmline is going to be joining us. Weekly update coming up, coming up about 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. Looking forward to that. Remind, excuse me, reminder that Naomi Nachman has a supersized table for two coming up live from Gourmet Glot, the brand new one on Railroad Avenue in Woodmere, New York. She will be there live uh, presenting a... Uh, Presenting a, whoa, why can't we get rid of this? <laughs> uh, presenting a wonderful Table for Two program starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time from Railroad Avenue. That's the brand new Gourmet Glot in Woodmere. Janie Chazanoff, pastry chef at Bordeaux in Brooklyn. Bridget Mizrahi, proprietor of Natural and Kosher Cheese. Albert Bijou, executive chef at the Coffee Bar in Lawrence. And Jay Booksbaum of Royal Wine Kedem are all going to be joining her. They'll do wine and cheese pairings. Winter break, culinary travels, cooking demos with Albert and Janie, a whole bunch of stuff going on at the brand new Gourmet Glot on Railroad Avenue today, uh, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time with Table for Two host Naomi Nachman. So make sure to be tuned into the live webcast. And if you're anywhere near the store in Woodmere on Railroad Avenue, make sure to stop by and say hi. The demonstrations are always fun and informative. And seeing the live show in general. Is always fun and informative. 22 minutes after 7 o'clock, JM and AM with the headliner for this coming Sunday night's Hass concert, the one and only Yaakov Shweki. Oh, 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 oh,
Levine, brand new, off of Bunim Atem's CD with Bowie. You heard Cole Zimra with a song from A.B. Rottenberg, Bowie Bishalom. A.B., of course, one of the stars of this coming Sunday night's Hass concert. 
Barry Weber with Achenu. You heard Benny Friedman in there with Shalom Aleichem. Friday morning broadcast on the Zerub Shabbos Parshas by Eira. Candle lighting at 426. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. A one-day Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Shvat will be on Monday. Big thank you to our friends at OnlySimplis.com. We'll continue to utilize our content here at JM and the AM and all of our other sources at the Nahum Siegel Network for some of their great news stories that continue to get posted around the world. In addition to all the great Simcha information that they continue to provide. So a big thank you to OnlySimchas.com. 33 degrees, mostly cloudy, a high temperature of 44. A reminder that um, coming up at 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman with a live edition of Table for Two. Uh, that's happening at the brand new Woodmere Gourmet Glot uh, on Railroad Avenue out in Woodmere. It starts at 9, goes until 10.30. You can go see uh, Naomi and all of her special guests. We'll run through the lineup again a little later on. Should be another great show. Her her uh, live presentations are always exciting and a lot of fun. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here on a uh, Friday morning broadcast. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning. I'm glad to see that you were able to get up. It was a wonderful <laughs> tribute to you last night at the TABC dinner, along with uh, other great honorees. So. Uh, should have been able to at least be there for a while. Well, I thank you for that. Yeah, most people, they, they couldn't believe you found the time to show up to a dinner in the Jewish community. My gosh, that was so nice of you. Well, especially in New Jersey, having to get a visa and everything to get there, and, uh, but it was uh, well worth it. He's kidding, folks. He's kidding. <laughs> uh, I take this opportunity, and I apologize for not mentioning it last week. Uh, you and your wife have become great-grandparents. Can you believe My it? wife. My wife, yeah. Oh, only your wife. <laughs> Can you believe it? You are great-grandparents. Well, my f- son has become a grandfather, which is something I can't believe. And, uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if by uh, virtue of that, I guess uh, I always thought I was a great-grandfather, but now they say it's formalized. You know, you so always... Thank you. We should only have some... Hey, Amen. You always uh, have a unique perspective, especially when it comes to uh, generations in the Jewish tradition, so I'm sure that all the, not just the emotion, but all the significance of this has not been lost on you. I'm sure you've thought about it many times. In fact, I continue to reference a conversation I had with somebody a few months ago where they reminded me that in their class, when they were growing up in the 50s or 60s, there was no such thing as a grandparent. The rarity was they were the only kids in this, in the uh, in their grade that had grandparents. Most kids didn't realize you could have a grandparent. And you get my point in terms of his, you know, we his uh, talking about the same thing, several people came to me and said made the same point about you know their own personal experiences. As was my case, I, you know I lost all my grandparents and in the Shoah, and the the idea of having grandparents alone, great grandparents was uh, was a very unique one for for most of the people of, of that generation and our generation too, because of you know unfortunately what happened. So part. It is in a comma still. It is the obligation to rebuild, but it's not because of a negative motivation. It's the positive motivation that I'm Israel High and that we've come back from the depths and, and every new life is, is so precious and we should value it and remember it and continue to see to it that the Israel grows. Yeah, I'm mean to that. And, I, and, and sort of on the same topic, uh, the other night we were at the Beit Road dinner and Carolyn Glick was speaking, and anybody who reads her regularly knows that 
I don't know if doom and gloom is the uh, proper way to put it, but it, you know, there's there's always many challenges that she's pointing out, and many different things that are uh, uh, that, that are facing the Jewish world and facing the Jewish people in Israel on a regular basis. You're very familiar with all of them, and she concluded her remarks, which I thought was remarkable, <laughs> coming from her, with, on such a positive note. How we are living in a generation that no other Jews, maybe since the time of I don't know the first temple era. Uh, have lived with a state of Israel, with uh, tremendous hope, with a, a strong presence in so many areas of the diaspora, about to get to the point where the majority of Jews are living in the Holy Land. And, uh, I, I mean, her point was that, you know, she, she continues to write and to, um, uh, you know, offer suggestions because there's finally a time where offering suggestions could lead to some results. There's finally a time that there could be some influence from the Jewish community, uh, you know, to government officials and others around the world. And I thought that that was, you know, for those of us who sometimes wonder about our little sessions together and how, you know, how difficult they sound sometimes, I think it's important to remind everybody the era we're living in and just how hopeful things really are. And I try every week to remind people of the good stuff, the good things that are happening, you have to face reality, and sometimes reality doesn't seem good, but if you don't face it, then you can't deal with it. When you confront it, then you understand that there are answers, there are pathways out of it, and what it becomes more clear what we can do. It doesn't mean we can always determine the outcome, but we can always influence, we can always try, we're obligated to try. And the fact is that there is always good news. You know, if you look at the, Syri- the um, Saudi-Iranian uh, conflict, I mean, there are a lot of uh, things that one can point to and say that this is, has a positive impact on Israel's security. Its relationship with many of the Sunni states will be improved. The, the Egyptian ambassador uh, has returned to Israel after an absence since uh, 2012, when Morsi withdrew the ambassador with the Muslim Brotherhood president who served for a short period. And now there's a full-time ambassador sitting in, in Tel Aviv again, the, um, there are many things that uh, we can cite, including always the amazing historical discoveries, including a Canaanite fortress and where they were just trying to lay the foundation for a new building. And as you know, in Israel, whenever you do this, this was not in Jerusalem. Right. Uh, you have to do first an archaeological exploration to make sure there's nothing there. And, of course, they found amazing finds. So it's happening all the time. Our past and our future come together. Yeah, no question about it. I'm glad we're able to point that out and remind everybody about it. I hope they take the opportunity to remind their children and grandchildren, and now I could say great-grandchildren, about it as sure. well. Uh, why didn't I think that the um, that the statement that uh, Martin Indig attributed to Benjamin Netanyahu was as, was as outrageous as the general media felt? The uh, Right. I, uh, I, think, I, well, I think that there are two points here. One is, as you know, they've done a, a, a review of the video of the funeral, and it shows that Indic was never sitting next to Netanyahu, and never were the two of them standing together. So he has already amended it to say, well, it didn't take place there, the comment, it took place at the Knesset. The next day, at, right. At the uh, at a memorial, I think. Right. Uh, and uh, either, I don't know if it was the, the next day. Um, and they're saying that that is not true either, and that it wasn't said. You know, I think that you're making an important point about why would it be outrageous to say that if if the assassin believed that he was uh, taking, uh, you know, affecting Israel's future and for, did it for as a political motive, 
And in fact, the polls did show that Rabin would have been defeated by Netanyahu, and he may have just said simply, if the guy was trying to achieve a political end, he right. did the reverse. Right. So that could have taken place, but even now, there isn't the evidence, and the Prime Minister's office issued a very strong statement saying it didn't happen. And it gets picked up because, number one, they love to, of course, the media loves to knock Netanyahu. And if it appears, you know, that he would make, in that setting, that would be considered, what would be considered a crass remark. Yeah, understood. Um, yeah, and it did, I, I, you may be right that it wasn't the next day, but it was right around the time of the funeral was when they were uh, literally waiting for the uh, uh, body to come to the Knesset to lie in state. So it was right, right, right there within that day or so. Um the, the the Tel Aviv terrorist, if we could call him that, from last Friday is still on the loose? He's still on the loose, although they seem to have ended the search in Tel Aviv itself. Um, as you know, they, they believe now that the murder of the, the Arab cab driver was uh, part of his escape. Uh, the question is where he's hiding, uh, in what community, had, did he make it across a border, which is unlikely. So it may take some time. It was something they said even before um, to apprehend him. They arrested his father because there appeared to have been com- conversations with, between the father and the son uh, it, around the time of the attack. And the um, and they ultimately will find him. The question is, will he attack again? What, what toll will be taken? And do we call him a terrorist or not? After a week now, we're, we're not sure what the motive was and... Is a terrorist. The motive in this case, nobody has seen anything else. That they didn't say it was criminal. He didn't work for the place. He wasn't a you know too often labeled disgruntled employee, you know, or the post office syndrome. Right. This is uh, there's no evidence but to conclude that this was part of the of the incitement, the result of some of the incitement and the stimulation, and there is evidence in some of the stuff that they found. So until they actually capture him, I guess it'll be hard to know the final uh, outcome. Could you describe for us the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran before this week? Terrible. And I think that that what happened is, is exaggerated a lot in the media because this has been an ongoing battle. And as you know, that for years, even from the beginning before the, the uprising, but certainly since it, I said that, if you don't see this as part of the Sunni-Shiite battle of the thousand-year standing, then you're missing the point. And that's exactly what's true here. This is a battle between the two behemoths of the uh, of one of the Sunni movement, uh, meaning Saudi Arabia, and one of the Shiites, in this case Iran, who have been battling. They're, they're involved in active wars on opposite sides in Syria, in Yemen, um, we believe in Sudan and many other places where they're in conflict. The the um, they they are also uh, in conflict over in some instances like the ISIS in, in Sinai. And you've seen how many of the Sunni countries have fallen in line behind Saudi Arabia by lowering or uh, recalling the status, the, lowering the status of the diplomatic relationship, or actually withdrawing the ambassadors. So this has been ongoing for a long time, and, and they've been sniping, and Saudi Arabia has been accusing Iran of, of trying to uh, undermine the regime, which it wants to. And you remember after the, the riot that took, I don't know, a couple thousand lives in, in, um, in, uh, in Mecca, 
at the when they had the Hajj. Right. Iran right away jumped in and said they can't be trusted with it. They wanted to be put. They wanted an international investigation, and they wanted to be put on the committee that will oversee it because this is a direct challenge to the legitimacy of Saudi Arabia as the protector of the holy places. They are undermining them in Katif, which is an eastern province, eastern area of Saudi Arabia, where you have the bulk of their energy resources, and, uh, and trying to undermine Bahrain, because that is a stepping stone to Saudi Arabia. It's 14 miles across a waterway. It's maybe more than you wanted, but people have to know how complex this relationship is. And the fact that you had a blow-up, also uh, one has to look at the domestic ramifications that that he they killed they executed forty seven people forty uh, five or six or so were were Sunni extremists Al Qaeda and others who had threatened the regime so to satisfy the people they they execute you know a high profile Shiite as well um, the uh, the Iranians <coughs> similarly used this to rally their uh, constituency and their people and um, you know threaten uh, do a lot of sable rattling. Uh, but we haven't seen uh, a real action taken. So the executions, which had their uh, have, is a story in and of themselves, we have to remember that that Iran is executing many more people, the average of three a day every day, including hundreds of Kurds, Shiites, Sunnis, um, and uh, let alone the members of the you know Christians, Jews, and others. So this is a very complex situation in terms of its deep roots in the Sunni Shiite uh, battle. It's a battle of hegemony and control of the Middle East. It's going to go on. It's going to be hard to resolve. You may get a papering over. You may get a reduction of temp, uh, the temperature for a temporary basis. But this is very fundamental. And and then you have the launch in North Korea right. of the uh, uh, test, supposedly, of a uh, hydrogen bomb. In the past, whenever there have been nuclear explosions, the reports are that Iranians were there. When the Iran launches the missiles, the ballistic missile test, uh, North Koreans are there. There is a close relationship. Both Pakistan and Iran base their missiles on the Nodang, which is the North Korean missile. And the um, you know there is a, a, a much more complex relationship here that goes beyond just the, the immediate region, and I think we and it, it is no coincidence that they would do the launch, and the the uh, the missile test right before the North Koreans did did the uh, supposed hydrogen bomb. Though it's not not everybody's convinced that they actually uh, they actually did it. So there and and you know the Saudis supposedly bombed the Iranian embassy in Yemen. Right. And they said they're going to investigate it. It's very complicated, but it's not new. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. So you've always described the uh, the current Middle East um, as tribal. Uh, what's the word you always use? Uh, ethnic. Uh, tri- what am I thinking of? Um you know, broken broken down in ethnic groups, basically. Yes, and tribal. Right, right tribal. tribal. And so, 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 what is the breakdown now? Is it, if Saudi Arabia and Iran are on different sides, so who who joins each side now in what potentially could be a real um, 
a, a, a conflict, you know, that, that, that finally the entire world will recognize is just a tribal one, right? I mean, that's, I know well, that this is a lot like the Iraq, Iranian war, you know, where both sides can win and we'd be better off perhaps, but right. destabilizing the region right now is a very dangerous thing. Saudi Arabia, I think, will be driven closer to Israel because of it. You know, we've seen some. Who else might be besides them? Well, let me give you an example of how complicated this is, and that is China. Why? Because the Uyghurs in in the Xinjiang province, which China is accused of having support from the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia, who are also an extremist group, and they have this East Turkestan independence movement, and they've attacked, they've had some large-scale terrorist attacks. The, the, the Chinese government has gone in there. Uh, members of the royal family, it's believed, provide funding, and the government, the Saudi government can't stop them or won't stop them. But this is for, for uh, a ramification for China, and China looks then at, this, uh, at the explosions that are going on, on there and say, well, this is, it only underscores their uh, apprehension about um, you know, about the, this moment, so it, it can have broad ramifications. It goes to the Sudan, Djibouti, Somalia, into Africa. It goes, of course, Jordan, Morocco, um, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, all of them on the Saudi side. Iran, the, remember, Shiites are a much smaller group. Uh, the Sunnis are the dominant uh, uh, Muslim group. Um, they have. They will enlist some countries uh, on their side as well. Iraq being one, but they don't have that many allies. Turkey obviously is, is Sunni and goes with the other side, and many of the countries will want to be left out of uh, getting too integrally uh, become too integral apart. But they could take advantage. And now the money release that's due to come, as hmm. Secretary Kerry said yesterday, maybe even in a few days. That they will reach the um, uh, the agreement, the conclusion of the agreement, uh, uh, that you would have the release of tens, of, not hundreds of billions of dollars, ultimately, to Iran to carry out. People are, are urging now that they hold up the money. You saw all the initiatives in Congress, and by the way, note that they're coming from Democrats, most of whom were were key supporters of the legislation in in the summer. Uh, the Iran, the Jopoa deal, are the ones who are leading now the fight, including Steny Hoyer, who's a Democratic leader in the House, um, calling for additional sanctions and for actions to be taken because of so, uh, Iran's launching of the two missiles, the ballistic missile tests, September, October, for which so far they've been no, there's no price. The, the administration announced sanctions and then withdrew from them, saying that they they're not ready to be implemented, that they're studying them. Uh, the members of Congress say that we've been sending the wrong signal because the countries, the region, look at this and say such a blatant violation. Then they fired missiles, rockets over the USS Truman, an American aircraft carrier in the Straits of Hormuz last week. And they're saying if there's no consequence, then America's image, the, the, the paper tiger accusations, all these things come to the fore. So it's interesting that it's Democrats who are by and large taking the lead on demanding new sanctions and and tougher enforcement against Iran. Every one of the countries you mentioned that Sunni dominated was was a, was certainly against the deal with Iran, right? For them, Iran is the greatest danger 
they, they, uh, some of them get apoplectic about it because Iran is working to undermine the regimes in a lot of these countries. They provide the backing, for instance, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah. Right. All these groups won't exist without the, the Iranian backing. And Hamas now is aiding ISIS, the, the, the ISIS affiliate in, um, as they call themselves, the Sinai province, in the Sinai, which is working against the government of uh, of Egypt, and also seeking to establish itself as a, um, a terrorist base, and we see that the growth of Al Qaeda and other groups as well. But the, the Iranians are involved through through money provided and weapons uh, to the Hamas, as they do to Hezbollah. The hundred thousand missiles that Hezbollah has are are from Iran, and the the continued efforts to resupply them, and then. You know, we know that, that Iran is active in, in Central Asia, countries like uh, Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan, Serbia, elsewhere. The Iranian tentacles reach out very far, even to South America, where we estimate they have thirty to 40,000 agents. They, they doubled the number of diplomatic missions, opened 80 new cultural centers. So their reach is global today. And their relationship with Russia as well is significant. That's a, another thing where, which is again very complicated because it's a mixed relationship. Russia has its own Islamic problem, big population growth, low population growth of the, of the Russians. They um, they are buying off the uh, Muslims and certainly Iran uh, with their relationship. They make a lot of money off the building of the nuclear reactors for Iran at Bushehr and now three or four more. Uh, the the Russian involvement, the weapons, etc., that are being flown in on two flights a day into Syria are being paid for by Iran. Uh, Turkey and Iran and Russia, you know, are heated up. Therefore, Iran's role, another thing that Iran can then exploit. So, again, it's it's so complicated. There are another dozen factors. Then you have to think about the flow of migrants and what these of, of Muslim immigrants into Europe, and what this will mean for Iran's ability to, to continue its nefarious activities. And it doesn't take that much money to do it. They've been able to support Hamas and Hezbollah even with, uh, you know, its economy in tatters. And even if they get the money, we have to remember with the price of oil as low as it is and with the Iranians, the, the Saudis pumping more and more in order to keep the price low to break the American fracking industry, but I think more immediately it's to keep the pressure on the Iranian regime, which is dependent on the oil income for you know its budget. Hamas is, as you just described, do we consider Iran now to be a sponsor of ISIS or not? It's not a sponsor of ISIS, uh, but we've seen that Hamas has developed a relationship with the, with the, what is a self-proclaimed affiliate of ISIS in the Sinai. That's because uh, obviously they they uh, they don't like CC. Egypt has has always traditionally been uh, an enemy. It's the largest Arab country, and with the crackdown by CC against the Islamists, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, which is uh, you know the mother of of a lot of the Islamist groups, it's. Um, it, you know, makes all the more reason why they would want to undermine his regime. Um, the United States, it, well, you've always pointed out that while, you know, everyone concentrates on Iran, North Korea and other places and other countries, you know, are doing things that just get no attention. And obviously, the I'll, I'll ask you more about the bomb test uh, in a minute. But with that in mind, do we spend too much time then here in the U.S., especially with the presidential campaign focusing on, so, focusing on it so much, 
really obsessed with ISIS and what people will do and how they're going to handle the war on ISIS, etc., when in reality there are so many other dangerous situations, including Iran, you know, most prominent among them, that need some attention? Well, for us and for the United States as a whole, uh, there are issues that are uh, of uh, greater importance, meaning Iran. Right. Iran is more important than ISIS. Right. Iran is the fulcrum of, of international and global terrorism. It is, as I said, given the outreach of the region to Africa also, uh, a global threat, including in the United States and in every, virtually every other country. The uh, rehabilitation of Iran will, will carry the threat that they will be able to, they will be in a position to greatly enlarge their efforts, providing more weapons, providing more funding. The terrorist uh, operations, there's no indication that they back off. So, yes, ISIS is very obvious, and it's it, and the blatant nature of its cruelty, the fact that it advertises through videos the executions and the, the brutal nature of those executions of beheadings, it, attracts people's attention. But they've had setbacks. They're, they're, they are not the global danger that Iran is. And uh, the the lack of determination in the beginning to really face off against ISIS and to deal with it when it was much smaller before they had tens of thousands of foreign recruits, uh, etc. Um, we pay the price for that now. And it's understandable why they get the visibility, because, you know, the more brutal you are, the more visible you are, the more you're going to get attention. But Iran is by far the greater danger. And look what everybody is focusing on, the debates, the campaign. ISIS is the... Is the big mantra. Um, so Hezbollah attacked the IDF uh, in the Golan and near Sheba farms, and they they didn't do any damage. Thank God, nobody was hurt. But you know, we have to remember that they're trying to encroach in the Golan, and that includes ISIS, but also Iranian, the IRGC, and Iranian-backed groups. Uh, so Israel for Israel, all of this has a lot of ramifications, and you know the the disintegration of governments. Uh, one, one could say that it would be in Israel's interest to see Assad fall, but you notice that the Israelis don't talk about that because for them the, the chaos that could follow, the total chaos, could mean that groups and some of those who are fighting in, in Syria and focused on fighting the Syrian army or, or for or against will turn their focus then towards uh, towards Israel. Right. It's going to be hard for Israel to stay out of all this as all this is going on. <laughs> well, they're not out of it. They're, they they are still going to Hezbollah. They're still, you know, they're protecting their borders. As long as nobody bothers them, they are not going to do anything. Right. But they they work closely with the Egyptian government uh, about the Gaza and about the the joint borders, the security of the border, and and Egypt's needs. And they work closely with the government of Jordan to, because they both face the dangers, both of ISIS and Iran, and the attempts to undermine the governments. So for Israel, this is a multi-front uh, danger. Why do you suspect that uh, it was not really a hydrogen bomb test in North Korea? Only because some of the scientists who have assessed it, it, it it's not that it, I, I said it wasn't, I said it hasn't been confirmed right. that it is, because they, they have to measure the radiation to see whether this was in fact, uh, maybe it was a small hydrogen bomb, maybe it was uh, something less than a, a hydrogen bomb, but the fact that they announced it, and generally their announcements have uh, been verified, uh, would we want to believe or assume that it is? It was in fact a hydrogen bomb test, which is then an escalation that makes it brings it to a higher level. The fact that they are moving in that direction, 
and obviously this is uh, has grave implications for the region for the for the Chinese even but also for Japan even or even more for Japan um, and uh, and uh, South Korea uh, it has it would be a very significant development and it's an unstable regime and you can transfer this technology you can even transfer weapons they can sell these things you saw what Agu Khan uh, did from Pakistan and uh, uh, you know, that could be replicated here, and that obviously would be very serious. The announcement might be more important to North Koreans than the actual test. <laughs> uh, that's true. You're right. The that's PR, true. you know. For and propaganda the, purposes, right. yes. And uh, U.S. reaction to this? Was there was there any official U.S. reaction to it? Well, they said they're studying it. They're trying to determine what it was. But uh, obviously, United States and North Korea are at odds and have been in conflict situation for a long time. But there never seems to be strong condemnation. And, and the, the sanctions, we lifted the sanctions, we're not imposing, the, and they're the most sanctioned nation in the world, and yet they, they continue to do this, and, and there has to, you know, America's afraid, I think, of, of the Chinese reaction or of other reactions. Now, with the, if this, in fact, was a, a, a new a hydrogen bomb, I think uh, the world has to look at collectively, not just the United States, but it only happens if the U.S. leads that they will have additional sanctions. Anniversary of the Charlie Hebdo attack yesterday, tomorrow on the secular calendar, the anniversary of the hyper-Kasher terrorist attack in France. First of all, it it is interesting, especially after our France experience, it is interesting that... um, that people are under this impression that such a significant number of French Jews are leaving to go to Israel. And I know that the, the numbers, you know, do bear that out to an extent, but, you know, on an annual basis, still 85 to 90% of the community is staying. And, uh, you know, obviously remains such an important, um, you know, Jewish presence in the diaspora. Um, Anything different in this year? I mean, uh, is the only thing we can really point out when it comes to French jury and maybe European jury uh, in general, is that they're just, you know, leaving at any opportunity? Is there any other observation a year later? Well, the numbers that are leaving, that are formally making Aliyah, are significant. They're up. It's, it's a little over 7,000 for last year, for this past year. But the um, but we have to look also at the numbers who've gone to other countries, Mm. Canada, Australia, United States, uh, elsewhere. It's not just Israel. So right. That augments the number considerably, mm. and it, it is still a small percentage, and nobody is looking for a mass exodus or encouraging a mass exodus. It has to be planned. Israel is taking steps, and there's a lot of pressure in Israel to build up the capacity to be able to absorb these people properly. Um, uh, and the situation is, is only deteriorated. The infl- influx of, of the migrants uh, and the, many of them carrying anti-Semitic, anti-Israel attitudes and the manifestations that we've seen, Sweden, Denmark, all these other countries, and certainly you know, Belgium, which has become a fulcrum for it, and, and the planning basis center for the attacks that took place against uh, France, and the, certainly the most recent French, uh, the, the attacks in France in November. Right. Um, so I think that the only, the road ahead is all, can only uh, be, be see more immigration and, and hopefully 
Muslim to Israel. And they get all the attention. Uh, there, there are other European countries going through the same thing, or you would say not as severe, or because the population is not as large, so it's not as significant. What would you say? I would say Belgium, the situation is as bad, if not worse, and it's a, but it's a much smaller scale. Right. The French population is the largest in Europe. Uh, certainly England is not exempt from it. Uh, in, in some cases, the governments are doing more, and the French government can't be faulted in this case uh, for the response to it. I think about what they did before, perhaps, and, and some of their own attitudes, but they did try to take preventative measures which were not wise and only exacerbated the problem, creating these uh, councils, and, and they're going to close 160 mosques now. And, and they did this once before, and so then the imams create their own, or when they deported a lot of the imams who spoke in English, now everybody speaks in Arabic, and they don't know what they're saying. Right. So they have conducted raids. They found weapons stashed in many, many mosques, and uh, for those that they felt were, were engaged in incitement or weapons uh, storage or other things, they, they are closing them down, which is a courageous act. Finally, and you're going to have to let us know where you are next Friday, why would you decide to travel to both uh, Cyprus and Greece? Well, in two days in each and in Israel next week, um, to at the end of the month, there's going to be a trilateral meeting of the heads of the three governments, Cyprus, Greece, and Israel. There are many issues, including the discovery of huge energy deposits near Israel and near Cyprus, and the two of them have a lot in common and can have joint refining and many other things. Greece and Israel have become closer and closer allies, and despite the overthrow of the right-wing government, which was very pro-Israel in Greece and uh, allowed and, and built up the military and other cooperation uh, and replaced by a leftist government, which has, contrary to most expectations, sustained that very positive relationship. The Israeli Air Force trains in some areas of Greece and um, trains also against the uh, mock-up of the... Um, um, the S-300 missile defense system. Israel, you know, does not have the strategic depth. They don't have the land mass. So having an island, uh, an uninhabited island, to, to be able to test run things in, uh, for the Air Force is very important. Sure. And the the relationship between Greece and, and Israel, and especially as the relationship with Turkey deteriorates, that other relationship has improved greatly. Unbelievable. And so we're going, and hopefully we will be able to contribute to the... We're also taking the leaders, uh, going with the leaders of the Greek-American community and the B'nai B'rith, who, who have helped foster this relationship, to um, that it will have ramifications here in building alliances with the Greek-American community. Um, they have a very, very active political arm, and, and as you know, there are many Greek-Americans who have been supportive of Israel, and this is so it has uh, many ramifications as usual we have no idea and when i say we i mean people like myself have no idea what's going on behind the scenes and we make our own evaluations we have no clue how many different components there are and we should note also that florida california passed anti-bds boycott divestment sanction legislation this week and we're looking to many more there uh, i think we're up to about 30 states now that have or are in the process of um, and we want tighter uh, anti-BDS uh, legislation as we see them increase the efforts and expect this year on the campuses especially to see the the, uh, um, the expansion of those efforts. 
Uh, we're also going to watch in the coming weeks what the relationship with Turkey, how that moves. Because right. it's, it's um, you know there've been very positive developments, but he's a mercurial guy, and we don't know. But but his latest statements were very positive about how Turkey needs Israel. So there is good news. That there are positive developments, but we've got to be very alert now. People have to understand, and, and most of all, it's what you said and why we do this in Friday morning. So they should talk to their kids about it. Explain to them what's happening. It's their world. And their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Thank you, Mr. Homeline. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And we'll it speak. was my pleasure. Have a good Shabbos. We'll speak, I guess, from somewhere around the world next week. Athens, I think. Athens, Greece. That should be exciting. It'll be Greek to everyone, right? <laughs> As usual. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, 22 minutes after 8 o'clock. It's Friday at JMNAM on Zerif. Shabbos Parshas by Eero with candle lighting time at 426. Monday is uh, Rosh Chodesh. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shvat will be on Monday. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pasha's Vo'era. In Pasha's Vo'era, we have the first seven of the makos of the plagues that Hashem brings upon the Egyptians. Now, I think we really have to ask ourselves each and every year the obvious question. Why? Why did Hashem have to bring ten plagues upon the Egyptians? He could have very well have brought the last plague, immediately, the firstborn of the Egyptians would have died. There would not have been a home where there was not a dead body in it. Paro and the Egyptian people would have run to Moshe and Aaron and said, Get out, lest we all die. And the Jewish people would have left Egypt immediately. Why must there be this process of nine plagues prior to and what might be at least one of the very important lessons that we are to learn therefrom? I'd like to answer this question with another question and that is as follows. The Ten Commandments are recorded twice in the Torah, in Parshas Yisro and in Parshas Eschanan. In Parshas Yisro, the Torah tells us the fourth commandment is to keep the Shabbos, and the reason that is given for the Shabbos in the Parshas Yisro is that Kisheshes Yomim. So Hashem is a Shemayim Oretz. Hashem in six days made the heavens and the earth. And Vayonach Bayom Hashvi'i, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Hashem has a blessed the Shabbos day and commanded us that we are to emulate him, and we too are to desist from any and all creativity on the Shabbos. This is 
the Ten Commandments as found in Parshas Yisro. The second time the Ten Commandments are found in the Torah in Parshas Vaeschanan, there the Torah gives us a very different reason. There the Torah tells us, Vizacharta, and you shall remember, that you were a slave in Egypt. And God took you out of there with a strong hand. Therefore, He commanded you to keep and observe the Shabbos. Now I ask you, why are there two different reasons for the Shabbos? And indeed, in the Kiddush that we're going to recite tonight, we mention both. First, we say, Zikaron, that Shabbos is a remembrance of creation. And then, one line later, we say, It is a memorial of the exodus from Egypt. Why two different reasons for Shabbos? And I'd like to refer you to the Ramban in his commentary on Parshas for Eschanan. And there he says a very important principle, and that is as follows. Says the Ramban, How do we know that God is the Creator? After all, nobody was there until the sixth day. How do we know that God is the Creator? And he answers so brilliantly. Yitzias Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, tells and testifies that God is the Creator. As we see during the course of these makos, of these plagues, that all of nature is literally putty in God's hand that he can do with what we call nature as he pleases, when he pleases. So the water of Egypt will turn to blood, but only for an Egyptian. For a Jew, it is going to be water. And so you can have a Jew and an Egyptian drinking out of one glass with two straws and out of that same one glass the Egyptian is going to drink blood and the Jew is going to drink water. There's only one way to explain this and that is nature is his, what we call nature and he has total control over it. And so, I'd like to demonstrate this by, number one, pointing out in conjunction with the seventh makkah, the very last one, and the very end of Parshas Vaera, whereby Paro pleads with Moshe, to remove the hail, the seventh plague, and Moshe complies with Paro's request. And he says, 
Kitsesi Esoir, in chapter 9, beginning with verse 29, when I leave the city, says Moshe, Ephrosis Kapayel Hashem, I will spread out my hands in prayer to God. And Hakolos Yechdolun, the thunder will cease and the Barad Lo od, And the hail will no longer be. Why? That you should know that the earth literally belongs to Hashem. And so what do we find in verse 33? That Moshe leaves Paro leaves the city, he stretches out his hands to Hashem, and the thunder and the hail stop, and listen to the last four words of the verse. And I urge that you take this verse to the chum, to your table tonight. This is chapter 9, verse 33. At the moment when Moshe prays that it should stop, the hail stops, and the rain did not come down to the earth. What does that mean, says Rashi? It means, Even those hailstones which were in mid-air did not reach the ground. That's correct. You heard me right. Not only were the hail a miracle in of itself, of a mixture of fire and water, something which we cannot even comprehend that they coexisted. But now, listen carefully, when Moshe dove into Hashem, he got instant results. And therefore, any hail that was mid-air stopped. Well, ask yourself, ask your children, your grandchildren around the table, what should happen to that hail which is in midair? Naturally, you and I would say it would melt and the water would, quote, fall to the ground. Guess what happens? It didn't happen. What do you mean it didn't happen? Whatever happened to gravity? The answer is there's no such thing as a natural law. It means that this is what God wills. And that's what you're going to say every single morning, including Shabbos morning, at the end of the first bracha before the Shema. God renews daily creation. What does that mean? It means that once again, Hashem says, today I want the laws of gravity to work. But at any moment, at any time, literally they can Go just the other way. Let's take a look at the fourth maka. The fourth maka is that of Orov, whereby you have the wild animals. Now listen carefully. This is such a powerful idea. Take a look. Go back to chapter 8, Pasuk 17, whereby, and just to save time, I'm going to go to the English for... If you do not send out my people, says Hashem, behold, I shall incite against you, your servants, your people, and your houses, a swarm of wild beasts, and the houses of Egypt will be filled with the swarm, and even the ground upon which they were. The last five words of that verse, the Gamu Adama, 
Asher Also, the earth, the ground upon which they are. What is the they referring to? So the Sperno, in his commentary, says, what do you mean, what does it refer to? It refers to the houses, which the previous phrase has been speaking about, that the wild animals are going to fill the houses of Egypt. And even the earth, the ground that the houses are upon, are not going to provide safety and refuge for the homeowners. Not only will there be snakes there, but the ground itself is going to be so tenuous because of all the wild animals there. Listen carefully. The Medrash has an additional different take on these words. And perhaps it explains why the word that's used to describe this fourth Makkah is literally Orov, which means a mixture, a mixture of these wild animals. Why call it a mixture? Now listen so carefully. You could think for the moment that, oh my goodness, all the zoo in Egypt, all of a sudden, the cages literally, and the locks upon them broke, so we now have wild animals running around. But that is just a small piece of the picture. What happened here was as follows. In order for these animals to function and to be able to um, provide the annoyance that Hashem wanted them to do, they needed to be in their natural habitat. And so, those animals that came from the North Pole, Hashem brought them and literally the ground that is under them as well, so that they should feel literally as if they are, not in Egypt, but if they are in the North Pole. Those animals that live by the equator, they were brought to Egypt as well. And Hashem brought Gam, as the verse says, God brought the earth that was under them. At the same time in Egypt, you've got the ground, which is providing the environment and nourishment for animals of such extreme diversity in terms of location that this literally it boggles the mind. We can't even imagine how such a miracle is possible that both extremes were operating at the same time. When you take a step back and you realize what's happening here, then you realize that Hashem, who certainly could have taken them out of Egypt with one simple bringing of the tenth plague, by bringing all the other plagues prior, is making us realize the incredible Hashkocha Pratis, God's personal involvement in this world. God, not only not only in a collective way, but in a personal, individual way. As the Gemara tells us in Tanis 25a, that Rav Hanina ben Dosa, who was so impoverished, and one Friday, his daughter was so frustrated, and said, Abba, 
we don't even have any oil to light the Shabbos lights. So what was his famous answer to Amisha Omar, the one who said that oil should burn, should say that water should burn. Now we are not even permitted to pray for such a miracle. But Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, who was on that kind of a madrega, who recognized and realized that everything about us is all miraculous, because it all stems from God. And even what we call nature is only the habitual desire of God that these laws function as they do. It changes our whole perspective on life. It changes our whole perspective on how we look at things. And it's for that reason that these makos were not simply punitive for the Egyptians, but these makos were very much educational and instructive for the Jewish people then and for we, the Jewish people, who are privileged to read this annually, and this is our preparation for, please God, in a few weeks, Kabbalah Satorah, who is the one that is giving us the Torah? He is not just the legislator for the entire world, but literally the one who is in total control. Shabbat Shalom. To all. J.M. in the A.M. And I want to take this opportunity to wish a mazel tov to Rabbi and Mrs. Uh, Benjamin and Chevy Yudin. Uh, the Yudins are celebrating the birth of their first great-grandson, mazel tov, from all of us here at J.M. in the A.M. And, of course, to Shoshana and Shlomo Hershey of Far Rockaway. A major mazel tov to the entire mishpacha from all of us here at JM in the AM. So the Udins are celebrating their first great-grandson, the home lines, as we said earlier, their first great-granddaughter. Uh, just an amazing piece of news to share with everybody. 20 minutes before 9 o'clock, before we get to the big concert Sunday night, thought we'd do this classic from Yaakov Shweki. This is JM in the AM.
Rachem, that's the classic from Yaakov Shweki, Has concert Sunday night. Looking forward to an unbelievable performance by all the uh, all-stars who are going to be part of it, that's for sure. J.M. in the AM at 14 minutes before 9 o'clock with 33 degrees, 26 the wind chill, mostly cloudy and a high of 44. Coming up at 9 a.m., Naomi Nachman, and I see that the uh, video is already set for NachumSiegel.com. You can actually watch the show live. Uh, you can... Um, uh, you can listen on the NSN app. You can listen on jmnam.org. A lot of different methods to tune in to uh, today's programming. Uh, reminder, it's a live remote alert. A supersized table for two with Naomi Nachman live from Gourmet Gladden Woodmere. That's on Railroad Avenue, the brand new Gourmet Gladden Woodmere. It starts 13 minutes from now with wine tastings, cooking demos, special guest chef Janie uh, Chanovitz, Chazin, chef 
Janie, Jane, oh my gosh, Janie Chazanoff, thank you, Bridget Mizrai, you know what, I think I'm going to do this off of the poster, since it seems that there was a little bit of uh, misspelling on this uh, announcement over here. Today, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, a 90-minute special table for two from Railroad Avenue at the brand-new Gourmet Glot in Woodmere. Janie Chazanoff, pastry chef at Bordeaux in Brooklyn. Bridget Mizrahi, proprietor of Natural and Kosher Cheese. Albert Bijou, executive chef at the Coffee Bar. And Jay Booksbaum of Royal Wine. They'll be doing wine and cheese pairings, winter break culinary travels, uh, cooking demos with Albert and Janie. A lot of great stuff going on. It starts just a few minutes from now. You can walk into Gourmet Glot in Woodmere on Railroad Avenue and see the uh, Table for Two with Naomi Nachman live. You can watch it live on our website, NachumSiegel.com. You can listen to it on the NSN app or on jmnam.org, all starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, followed by the uh, Kedem presentation of the uh, incredible Erev Shabbos music mix all the way until candle lighting time. So join Naomi and all of our special guests for all those great features. Always a lot of fun when Naomi hits the road and opens up the uh, program to everybody, essentially. So make sure to be tuned in and make sure to visit uh, out in Woodmere. Reminder, Yehuda Green and David Gabe in concert tomorrow night, Teaneck Jewish Center to benefit Sharsheret. You can go to the Sharsheret website or call their number for information. That's happening at the Teaneck Jewish Center tomorrow night. Uh, we, of course, know about Sunday night's Massive Hass concert, time for music number 29, uh, one of the most anticipated events of the year. Looking forward to an incredible Wonderful performance from Yaakov Shweki and all of the uh, uh, all the people in the All Star lineup for this coming Sunday night, including these folks from Eighth Day.
There they are, eighth day, part of the big lineup this coming Sunday night. Uh, everybody out there uh, who's going to be at the Hess concert, enjoy. It should be an absolutely fabulous evening, as you would suspect. Erev Shabbos Parshas Ve'era, candlelighting at 426. J.M. and the A.M. Naomi Nachman coming up five minutes from now. You can see the whole video at uh, live on NachumSiegel.com. You could uh, hear everything, of course, on the NSN app and jmtheam.org. Uh, she'll be live at the Woodmere, the brand new Woodmere Gourmet Glot with all of our special guests and demonstrations and a whole bunch of fun between 9 and 10.30 this morning. And um, always exciting watching Naomi with the uh, show. If you have an opportunity to stop by and say hello in Woodmere, you should make sure to do so. Time to say good Shabbos with a reminder this coming Sunday morning. Matas Weingast with JM Sunday starts at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Part of our incredible weekend programming, which begins tomorrow night with Saturday Night Seagull. Make sure to be tuned in all through the weekend at jmtheam.org and the NSN app. Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw. Say good.
special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well, Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Naomi Nachman is next. Table for Two is live from the brand-new Woodmere Gourmet Lot coming up next between now and uh, 10.30 this morning. Enjoy the show. She has plenty of great guests and a lot of wonderful things going on, including some fantastic demonstrations, etc. Uh, great weekend programming, of course, including uh, Saturday Night Seagull, including JM Sunday, including Court Report with Elliot on Sunday night. And Monday we are back starting at 6 a.m. Make sure to join us. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Till then, Achim Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.